This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to understand your word because it really bridges uh, thousands of years of history and culture and language. Uh, but help us to understand the message that you're giving to us today is just as relevant as it was as you spoke to your people in the time of uh, Assyria and Egypt. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever relied on somebody or someone who let you down in the future. Right, I want you to think about that for a second. Have you ever relied on someone only for them to let you down badly? I remember when I was young, uh, I had a really good friend of mine, and uh, he was, uh, you know, we used to hang out together, do homework, and uh, just you know, have good times together. And I remember at some point as we got older, he found another group of friends, and very suddenly... Uh, he just sort of like dumped me and uh, we didn't talk anymore and we didn't hang out anymore. And I felt really bad about it. And I think that was the first instance where I suppose I relied on someone and that person let me down badly. But I think it's not just about friends. Uh, a few years ago, I met another person who actually was working in a very big company. It was the very first job they'd ever gotten and they worked there for a long time. He'd gone overseas with the company He'd done a lot of work with the company. Whatever they asked him to do, he did. But one day the boss called him into his office and uh, he said that uh, we're really sorry but we have to let you go. And he says, it's not, it's not that, that you, you're not performing, it's just that you're the most expensive person here now and uh, we won't be able to meet the budget if uh, we keep you. And talking to this uh, Christian friend of mine, he was very, very upset and he said, you know, subconsciously, He'd always thought that he would stay in this company forever, but then today, you know, he didn't have a job and he had a family, he had kids and people to look after, but, you know, the company had let him down very badly. So the question that uh, the, the passage, I think, is t- asking is, you know, who can you really rely on? Who is worthy of your trust? Who will not let you down? Now, in order for us to really understand today's passage, we really need to go back in time and place in history because unless we understand the context and the background of uh, Isaiah chapter 19, it will be very hard for us to understand what is really being said. So Isaiah 19 was written in a period where God's people, the people of Judah, faced a very dangerous time. So if you look at this map, um, okay, so this is where your color distinction is quite important, right? So you'll see that uh, this map is made out of different colors, right? So uh, if you look at the smaller, medium green map, uh, this was the time where I think Isaiah 19 was written, where uh, Assyria was a growing superpower, right? So it's very small, then it gets bigger, 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 then eventually it grows all the way to its bigger size. But, but at the time of Isaiah chapter 19, Assyria hadn't yet reached its full full size as a superpower in the Middle East. right? It was still sort of growing. And because it was growing, it was threatening uh, Judah during this time. So the next slide. So what Judah did or was tempted to do was that it wanted to turn to its southern neighbor, right? the kingdom of Egypt, which was also like a, another superpower. So it was like trying to balance out two superpowers of the day. A bit like, you know, Singapore 
in between China and America, something like that, but, but not quite as drastic as that, okay? So, so that was what was happening. So, like, Judah was, like, caught in the middle between Assyria coming from the north, and it was appealing to another superpower in the south, Egypt, as an alliance partner to protect it. But the problem as we turn to Isaiah chapter 19 was that it wasn't just that God's people in Judah were turning to Egypt to balance out the, the, the power equation in the Middle East. It was that she was actually trusting and relying on the gods of Egypt, on the wisdom of Egypt, on the economic power of Egypt, on the military power of Egypt. And in doing so, it's actually turning away from God and putting her full trust in Egypt rather than on God. So, if you can understand that context and the background, then it helps us understand Isaiah chapter 19 a lot better. So, in chapter 19 verse 1, God speaks through Isaiah the prophet. And he says, a prophecy against Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him. The hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. I will stir up the Egyptians against Egyptian. Brother will fight against brother. Neighbor against neighbor. City against city. Kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart and I will bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master. And a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Now, God comes not with uh, riding on these like, you know, military steeds or horses, but he comes riding on the power of the clouds itself. And when he comes, it says something very strange. Right? It says that the idols of Egypt tremble. Now, if you think about it, that's a really strange image, right? Because it's not as if, you know, this is the idol. It's like, you know, trembling on the table. My phone got wet. Okay, trembling on the table, right? You know, it's like, it's like what, what is it? it's an image of where the idols themselves are scared and petrified of God. And it goes on to say that actually the idols are actually dumb and mute because the Egyptians come to the idols for advice and, and the spirits for advice, but, but before God, they are unable to actually find out their plans. Their plans come to nothing. And God says that when He comes, He will, you notice the word that I will, I will, He will bring social division and He will bring social disintegration. He will put a harsh king and a harsh ruler over Egypt and the people will suffer. Now I think the first point that we are meant to understand here from the context of God's people during this time is that as they were turning to Egypt as an alliance partner, they were also drawn, right? They were drawn to the idols, they were drawn to the gods, they were drawn to the mysticism of Egypt, right? They tremble before God as God comes. And the, the, the idols are unable to give wisdom and insight. Now this is very important, right? Because these two points show that God is saying, why do you want to to worship these idols, why do you want to go to these mediums for advice when before the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, right? That's what it says there in verse 4, right? The Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Lord means the King, Yahweh who is Almighty, before your God itself, these idols tremble. They're scared and petrified of God and they are unable to give you good advice. 
And I think that that's a, a relevant thing for us to think through, right? Because sometimes as Christians, we may be tempted to turn to, 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 to turn away from God to other things, right? I mean, that's what Isaiah 19 is all about. Are we, are we tempted to turn away from God to other things? We may not be tempted to turn away to worship little idols, but we, we're tempted to turn away from God and, 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 and worship things which are much less than God himself. Now, when I was living in Australia, I lived there for many years, and I realized that as the culture and the people became less and less Christianized, there was a corresponding increase in people becoming uh, very new age. Right, so I, I, you would go to... The, Australia has a lot of these little um, fairs on the weekend. Right, like These markets all pop up. And when they go there, I, I noticed that there were many, many people uh, over the time I was there who increasingly like, bought like, these crystals or like, healing stones. And, and it's, you know, it's, like, it's almost as if when, when you turn away from God and you put your faith in something else, the, there's a vacuum to be filled, and that vacuum gets filled with, with other things, other idols. Like when I was uh, visiting England a few years ago as well, I was, I was traveling a lot by the train, and one of the, the one amazing things about English people is they're very literate. Right? They're always reading newspapers, so they're always like newspapers lying around everywhere in the, in the train station. Right? They've got many, many different types of newspapers. Right? It's not like one straight time, it's like, you know, there's all these different newspapers, but one thing I noticed was that a lot of the British people, they would end up reading, uh, as I was standing next to them looking over their shoulder, they would be reading the, their horoscope, you know, astrology. And, and I was actually surprised that in this day and age, uh, people actually bother to read about your, your, your horoscope or your astrology. I mean, they're just planets floating around in the universe and what, is, what has it got to do with when I'm born and what's going to happen to me tomorrow, right? I mean, it's a... As a logical person, that doesn't really make sense. But, but it seems to me that as people move away from Christ, they turn to crystals. Right? As they move away from the Almighty, they turn to astrology. And God says that's like going backwards. Right? You're, you're, like, you're, like, it's, you're going from the real thing to this empty, fruitless, illogical uh, um, uh, uh, a thing that doesn't actually give you any real advice or any meaning at all. The Bible then goes on to say, in verse 5, and this is where God speaks to the people of Judah, his people, and then he, he looks at a different topic. He says in verse 5, the waters of the river will dry up, the riverbed will be parched and dry, the canals will stink, the streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up. The reeds and rushes will wither. Also the plants along the Nile at the mouth of the river. Every sown field along the Nile will be parched, will blow away and be no more. The fishermen will groan and lament. And all who cast hooks into the Nile, those who throw nets on the water will pine away. Those who work with comb flax will despair the weavers of fine linen will lose hope. The workers in cloth will be dejected and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. Now, if you look at this passage, God seems to have moved on to another topic. So verse 1 to 4 is about God saying, don't turn to these idols. Right? Don't follow the gods of Egypt. 
In verse 5 to 15, sorry, verse 5 to verse 10, it, it, it speaks of the, the wealth and the economy of Egypt. So, if you think of Singapore, what is the center of the Singapore economy? Uh, like, you know, what would Singapore be crippled with if it didn't have? Right, so, you sort of think like, okay, maybe the Singapore port, right? If you took away the Singapore port, or if you took away the Singapore airport, if you took away both those things, the Singapore port and the Singapore airport, I think Singapore will be very crippled. Right? You, you know, manufacturing would, would be dying out, no tourists. In the same way, for Egypt, the center of her economy was the River Nile. Okay, so if you, another ge- geography lesson, right? So this is Egypt, and the River Nile like, flows, like, bisects the whole of Egypt, right? So the next, the next slide. And the River Nile is like the source of agriculture, the source of fishing, the source of water, it's, it, it does, it's got so many things, uh, uh, there's so many great things for, for Egypt. Right? It's like the breadbasket of Egypt. So apparently, uh, every year, the river Nile would overflow its banks, and then it would provide fertilizer you know, for all the, the, the farms and everything on the, on the banks of the river. They would provide streams where you could draw fresh water to plant your plants. It would provide irrigation. It would provide fish. And also, it would provide like uh, cotton, you know. So nowadays, you know, if you if you if you if you ever once you get married and you start getting interested in buying bed linen, right? Because you know, when you're young, it's like ah, the bed sheet is just a bed sheet. I don't know. It miraculously appears once a week on my bed, right? But you know, when you get married and you're like, oh, I've got to start looking for bed linen. You realize, hey, there's this thing called Egyptian cotton, right? So you know, oh, you know, you must buy this Egyptian cotton. I don't know how many threads, right? So it's very very soft on your skin when you're sleeping. So, you know, you, you can sort of see that, that, that all these things come from the River Nile. But God, in this series of poetic images, shows how from the very Nile itself, it will dry up. Then the streams will dry up. Then the banks will dry up. Then there will be no more plants. There will be no more farms. The harvest will be gone. The fish will be dead. And then there will be no more Egyptian cotton. And God says that the people of Egypt will be in a deep, profound despair. And he says, look, you cannot trust in this economic wealth of Egypt because soon, one day, this wealth will dry up when the Nile dries up. I always remember in the book of Proverbs, right? It says, on the next slide, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Now, if you actually notice, uh, actually, we never preached on the book of Proverbs like through it, but, but actually, Proverbs has a lot of things happening in this very short verse, right? There's a, there's a contrast. That's what makes a proverb, because it's like there's a contrast which draws your attention to some wisdom. So, if you notice here in the very first sentence, it says the name of the Lord is a, uh, a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Right? So, this is the reality. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. If you run to it, you will be safe. That's the reality. But for the wealthy, they only imagine it to be an unscalable wall. That means wealth, in our imagination, provides us security. 
But it, it is not the real security that the name of the Lord is. And that's what it's saying here. So, for God's people, they are running to Egypt for protection. And they imagine her wealth, her economy will give her protection. But God says, no, 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 no. Right? The Nile will one day dry up. These, these things are not forever. These things are not permanent. And she will not be able to give you the protection you seek after. Right? Remain in me. Don't run after the wealth of Egypt. Now, I think this is a very important lesson for us because we can come to church and we, we think, you know, we read the Bible, we, 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 we attend Bible study or everything. But the temptation again is, do we put our trust in God right, as a first priority or do we put our trust in, say, our houses or our investments or our insurance? Right? Where, where is our, our final security found? It must be found in God. So I know that uh, I was quite surprised because in my Bible study, very few people have watched uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Right? But it is an interesting movie and I, I, I did enjoy it. But if you actually have watched it, do you remember the opening scene of uh, Crazy Rich Asians? you remember how they're all doing the Bible study, right? So they're all doing Bible study in like the first five minutes, I remember. It's quite interesting. And they're all doing Bible study. I can't remember. They actually quote the passage that they're doing, but I can't remember what passage it was. But after that first five minutes and the Bible study scene, you never hear them kind of like referring to God anymore. And as you watch the movie, you realize that uh, the, the, the Bible study and their, their, their supposed Christianity is just a it's just an outward form, right? Because at the end of the day, what they really value in life is the riches and the lifestyle and all the trappings which come with it. But God says, as we see here, that, that we cannot turn from God and turn to these material things, right? At the end of the day, these things will put us to shame. At the end of the day, this, these things will let us down. It is, it is only in God that we can find our final security, now, together with turning to Egypt's gods and turning to Egypt's economic power and wealth, the great temptation from the very beginning uh, of Israel's history also was to turn its, its gaze away from God to the wisdom of Egypt. So in verse 12 it says, Where are your wise... Oh, sorry, verse 11. Let me start from verse 11. The officials of Zon are nothing but fools... The wise counsellors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings? Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zon have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger in all that she does as a drunkard staggers around in his vomit. Now Egypt in her time was famous for her wisdom and her wise men. Right? It's like we think of Boston today, right? maybe Boston or Cambridge or Oxford. We think of these are centers of learning. So Egypt was a bit like that. So right from the very beginning, if you can see in even the Bible in Exodus chapter 7, and in 1 Kings chapter 4, it talks about the wise men of Egypt. And even in 1 Kings, right, it says Solomon was greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. So that means that the benchmark right, to compare yourself to was the wisdom of Egypt. 
And that was something which I guess God's people in Judah were tempted to turn to during this difficult time. Right? Don't, don't, don't worry about what God says. Worry about what Egypt's, Egypt says. You know, we need some management consultants from Egypt to tell us what to do. But God sarcastically says to them, show me, right? Show me who your wise people are, right? Show me your wisdom. You say to me, I'm a wise man, I'm a disciple of these ancient kings. Show me your wisdom. Because God says that they are unable to perceive his plan. It's like they're trying to figure out what God is doing, but they can't penetrate God's wisdom. So he says to the officials of Zone, so okay, Zone is uh, not Z-O-N-E, but Z-O-A-N, right? And Memphis, these are like the great cities of Egypt. Okay, so Memphis is not where, is it where, where was Elvis Presley born? I can't remember. Anyway, so it's not Memphis, Tennessee in America, but this is the original Memphis in Egypt. Okay, this is the great city of Memphis. So these places would be the places where that the wise civil servants would be. And, and God says to these people, you're fools. Right? You're fools. You don't know what you're doing. Your wisdom is unable to understand what is about to happen. But there's a greater secondary image which is, greater, which is given by God where it says actually God not only blocks their wisdom from penetrating His wisdom, but God actively is giving them a spirit of dizziness. A, a spirit of staggering in, uh, in, in, in confusion. Now this is a very strong and potent image. Um, because God gives a, a very revolting image, right? It says it, the, the wisdom of Egypt in verse 15 is like a drunk staggering around in its vomit. Now... Uh, I only got a clip art picture because if you actually got photographs, if you actually do a Google search of drunk people and, and vomit, it's a lot more revolting than this uh, clip art picture, right? I, I mean, uh, I, I don't imagine, or maybe some of you have actually seen people vomiting and, and, and you know, being in their vomit, but it's very, very revolting, right? Uh, I remember once I was in a bus in Australia and this drunk guy came and he, he, he looked very bad, in a very bad shape and he had vomit on him. And uh, he came in, immediately half the bus moved to the back, right? Because that's what, that's, that's your natural reaction when, when, when you have a drunk person who is covered in, in vomit, right? And that's what God is trying to say. He says, look, you know, you're so attracted, you're so drawn to the wisdom of Egypt. But really, you should be repulsed and you should be revolted by the wisdom of Egypt because she... The wisdom of Egypt is unable to understand God and is actually like a drunk person and is vomit. It actually leads you astray and deceives you. So I think in our own way, uh, as we live today, we can be drawn, we can be drawn to wisdom, which is not godly wisdom. I mean, obviously there's some wisdom in the world which is very helpful. I mean, we all go to university and we study university, but 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 there is wisdom which actually seeks to draw your faith away from God. And to follow that wisdom instead. And by doing so, God says, you know, it's foolish. You should be revolted by this wisdom. You should actually be repulsed by this wisdom and to to hold on to the wisdom of God. Now, verse 16 to 25, um, 
it's a very, very long passage here, and it revolves around a particular day, right? In that day, in that day, it keeps saying. Now, I won't read for you the whole thing because we read it already, uh, it was read to us. But if you notice, if I show you on this passage, it keeps talking about this day, right? In that day. So it says that in that day, the Egyptians will become weaklings, they will shudder with fear. At the uplifted hand of the Lord Almighty raises against them. The land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. In that day, the five cities of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and will swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. One of them will be called the city of the sun. Now, how do we read the Bible? Uh, In order for us to understand which uh, parts of the Bible belong together, the Bible sometimes gives us a common phrase. And as we look at this passage, it keeps talking about in that day, in that day, in that day, in that day. And it presents a day where far, far into the future from Israel's time, things will be radically different to the present day. In that day, it tells us right, that Judah will bring terror to Egypt. Now that's amazing, because in the day that Isaiah was written, Judah was terrified of Assyria, Judah was terrified of Egypt. She was like this small little bug, which was going to be crushed by the superpowers of Egypt and Assyria. But God says, look far into the future, the very mention of the God of Judah, and the very mention of Judah itself will make Egypt terrified. What a great reversal that is. But more than that, it says that in the same day, five cities of Egypt will turn to God. Now, why five? Right? Why is five so important? Is it literally five or is it a symbolic number? Nobody really knows. Is it only a few people in Egypt, a few cities in Egypt will turn to God? It's not really clear. But one of them, it says, is the city of the sun, right? Or the city of sun. Uh, again, not very clear what that means. But if you, if you remember during that time that one of the major gods that Egypt worshipped was the god of Ra, the god of the sun, then it seems to be saying that the city itself where the worship of Ra or the temple of Ra was situated would actually turn to God on that day. And the, the, the picture keeps getting radically more and more uh, confronting for the, the, the Judeans, right? Because it goes on to say, in a very strange like, uh, retelling of history, that everything that God did for his people, God will also do for the Egyptians. Right, so in verse 19 and 20, the next slide, it talks about how the Egyptians will build an altar to God. But then, Hey, the very first forefather of God's people, Abraham, he built an altar to God. It says the Egyptians will build a monument to God. And then we read that actually Abraham's son, Jacob, built a monument to God. It says that the people of Egypt will cry out to God and God will send a savior to rescue them. And again, the book of Judges, that's what happens over and over again for God's people. God's people keep crying out to God. And God keeps sending them judges to save them. And in Judah's time, the people worshipped God by giving God sacrifices, 
grain offerings and making vows. And God says in that day, Egypt will do the same thing. She will give sacrifices and grain offerings and make vows to God. So the shocker for God's people, Judah, is that there is one day far in the future where Egypt will be equivalent to God's people in Judah. Saved by God, redeemed by God, worshipping God. And that's why in verse 23 to 25, it talks about how in the last day, like there's this big north-south highway, right? From Egypt all the way to Assyria, where the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Judeans, God's people, will come together and they will worship God together. And God declares in verse 24 and 25, right? That one and the other and the other will all be the same. They will be my people. They will be my handiwork. They will be my inheritance. They will be blessed equally by God. Now why does God want to present this picture to God's people? Basically what he's saying is that during this time where Judah is looking up to Assyria in fear, looking up to Egypt as a saviour, God is saying, look, on the very last day, all of these people who you fear or you want to follow, they will all come over to your side to worship God and I will equally treat them and bless them. So, as someone in my Bible study said, uh, very, uh, very succinctly, he said, look, you know, if you are already on the right side, then God is saying, why do you want to go to the wrong side when those on the wrong side are going to come to you anyway? Can you see what's being said here? It's like that... The, 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 the people of Judah, God's people, they are really worshipping God correctly. They really know this God. Why go to the Syrians? Why go to the Egyptians when they are going to actually come to you to worship God and be equally saved under God's plan? Now, I think that's why eschatology is so important. You know, eschatology is the study of the end times, the study of the last days. Because if you know what's going to happen at the very end, then it teaches you in the present how you should live. And that's what I think God is doing here. He's giving Israel, Judah, a picture of eschatology. He says, look, at the very last day, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, they will all be together with you. They will all worship God. They will all be blessed by God. They will all equally be saved by God. Now, that is the picture that uh, we talked about uh, when we did the responsive reading in Revelation chapter 5. You remember, right? All nations will come together. Oh, not yet, not yet. No. All nations will come together and they will all worship God together. Now, I want you to fix that picture in your mind, right? If all the nations are going to come together, all peoples are going to come together in the last day and be saved because the Lamb has died for us all, then why do we want to go to them? Because they're going to come to us, right? At the last day, all the nations will be like us, worshipping God and saved by the Lamb. Why do we fear them? Why do we want to follow them? Because at the last day, they will come to us. We are on the right way. We have the true worship right now. Now, as we come to the end of chapter 19 and we come to chapter 20, God goes from the super, super far future to the short-term future, right? of the people of Israel, the people of Judah. And in chapter 20, again, we need to understand 
the historical and the geographic situation of what was happening. So if you look up here on this slide, you see that uh, Isaiah, Isaiah lived from 750 to 686 BC. That was around the time of his ministry, right? So he ministered approximately around this time. So on the next slide, you see that during the time of his ministry, the major cities of the Philistines were these cities. Okay, so Akron, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, and Raphael. So I want you to keep that in mind. Okay, so this is Isaiah's time of ministry. These were the major Philistine cities. Now, during this time, the danger was from Assyria coming down to the south. So, Ashdod and the Philistine cities... Oh, no, 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 don't go yet, don't go yet. Okay, Ashdod and the Philistine cities... Sorry. Ashdod and the Philistine cities... They had the same thinking as the God's people in Judah. They had a defensive alliance together with Egypt. Think of it this way. It's like Taiwan and it's uh, alliance with America. Okay, So it's that sort of thing. It's like, you know, you have a defensive alliance. So... The Philistine cities had a defensive alliance with Egypt. Egypt was meant to come to the, her defense if she was threatened by Assyria. So this is what chapter 20 is all about. Right? So chapter 20, verse 1, it says, In that year. Okay, so this is a new section because the earlier section was in that day. Okay, so now it's in that year. The supreme commander sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. He said to him, Take off sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away stripped and barefoot the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be dismayed and put to shame. In that day, the people who live on this coast will say, See, what has happened to those we relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. Who then can we escape? Now, so, what happened on uh, the next slide? So what happened was, uh, Ash, uh, Assyria came down and they captured uh, Ashdod. So you see the little numbers, right? So in 722, Samaria 701 captured Ashdod. So, during this time, uh, actually Egypt had actively gone to protect Ashdod, but failed to protect Ashdod. And Ashdod fell and the king was captured. But God actually knew what was going to happen. Right? So poor prophet Isaiah for three years had to walk around barefoot uh, without his clothes. Lah. I know that some commentators will say, you know, maybe he, he was dressed okay, but you can't escape from the fact that actually what he was doing was walking around with his buttocks bare. Lah, right? So can you imagine, I come to church, right? Your pastor... For three years, I'm walking around barefoot with my buttocks showing. And for three years, I can't explain to you what I'm doing, right? You sort of think, what is wrong with Andrew, right? It's like, you know, 
But after three years, finally when Ashdod is you know, conquered by Syria, then God says, look, look, this is a sign, right? It's like, like Isaiah is like a living, uh, walking sermon to you of what is going to happen in the future because the conquering of Ashdod actually represents that in the very near future, Egypt herself will be defeated and they will be like Isaiah. They will be made to parade through their cities barefoot with their butts showing. So, if you look at the next slide, so Kush is what is modern day Ethiopia and Egypt. So they're kind of like one alliance, right? So God says that the last day the Kushites and the Egyptians will be paraded through their streets, uh, naked, their butt showing bare feet. Because that is the way the Assyrians, and that is the way, uh, indeed, sadly, uh, the ancient armies used to uh, humiliate you. Right? It's like your mighty soldiers, right? uh, naked, paraded to the streets. I mean, if there was a way to demoralize you as a population, that's the way to do it. Right? So actually, there are many, uh, if you go and Google it, there are many ancient uh, like, uh, pictures. Uh, next slide which actually show uh, the Syrians, they were very cruel overlords, right? They're not like compassionate or something. They, they really humiliated you. And uh, in the ancient days, they really uh, were very cruel to you. So what is actually happening here is that God is saying, look, if this is the, if, if this is the Egypt that you're going to trust in, who in the future are going to be led naked, barefoot, with their butt showing, then how can you rely on these people? Right? You will be put to shame. You will be dismayed when you put your trust in these people because they are incapable of protecting you from the Syrians. Right? Why, why turn from God to these people when this is going to be the, the outcome for them? So as we come to the very end of this passage, uh, we want to move from God's people right, in 701 B.C., to our time, nine, uh, 2019. Right? But the lesson for us is, is still the same. In the sense, we also have our own Egypts that we are tempted to turn to and turn away from God. Right? So many years ago, I, I remember talking to uh, this Christian man who is no longer in our church, and he had left church. And, I, and what happened was, he was very drawn to uh, his boss, his boss had made great promises to him. His boss was a very charismatic person and it promised him great things. Uh, in the words of this man, he said that, you know, the world is my oyster and, uh, you know, I want to, 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 to eat of it. I'll come back to church one day in the future. Uh, as far as I know, uh, things went well for a while, then, but he no longer works with this boss anymore. They had a falling out. In the same way, there are other people who may be drawn other things. So in Australia I remember some pastors tell me that some Christians there are drawn away from God to lifestyle. Right? You know, like they, they, they are drawn to the beach. The weather's really good. They don't want to come to church. They want to surf instead. Uh, they like, you know, hanging out by the beach, mixing out with the beach bunnies. Right? The young girls there. And, and they're drawn away from God to lifestyle. Right? That's the, like the Egypt of their life. Some other people are drawn to maybe uh, wealth and the lifestyle that comes from wealth. I know of uh, Christian friends who they, they, they start mixing with a circle of wealthy people 
and they're drawn to the opulence, drawn to the food, drawn to the, to the trips, the golf trips or whatever, and they, they move away from God. And for those people, that, that is like their Egypt of their life. So I think as we come to this passage, the question is, is there an Egypt in your life where you are turning from God and turning to and relying on something else? It could be lifestyle, it could be the promises of a boss, it could be uh, wealth, it could be the company of, 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 of these wealthy friends. Right. But at the end of the day, this passage tells us that all these things uh, will let us down. It will put us to shame and dismay us. Because at the last day, God says that there's only one thing that you should rely on, and that's God, because on that last day, Egypt, Assyria, China, Russia, America, Australia, Singapore, God's faithful remnant will come before Him. They will be equal in standing before Him because the Lamb of God has died for them. And they will be blessed by God. They will be called my people, my inheritance, my children. So, as we reflect on life today, is there an Egypt in your life that you are drawn to, to rely on, to trust, and and draws you away from God? Because the warning today is, if you put your faith and your trust and you turn to these things, you will, in the end, be dismayed and you will be put to shame. Instead, rely on God and you know that the very last day, God will bless you together with all the peoples of the world when He saves you in Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we will learn the lessons that you gave to your people all those thousands of years ago. Your people in Judah at that time were tempted and seduced to be drawn to Egypt. Her idols, her wisdom, her vast wealth, her powerful economy, her military strength. But God showed from one after the another, each of them will, will let Israel down, God's people down, and put her to shame. Dear Father, we pray for ourselves that we too will learn the lessons that you powerfully gave to your people. That if there is an Egypt in our lives, whether it be wealth, wisdom, lifestyle, the promises of uh, advancement and, and excitement, that all these things we will learn cannot be relied on. And in the end will only let us down. So dear Father, we once again recommit ourselves to you that we will trust only in you and your promises and your wisdom and your word and trust only in the Lamb who has died for us because we know that on the last day we together with many people from many nations will come together to be blessed by you and to be called my people. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.